This is episode 126 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2015, One Courageous Community with Carrie Patterson. This is session three from Saturday night. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I hope, did they record the mission panel? Curious. No, I'm sorry. There, now I just highlighted the fact that we didn't record it. Well, there you go. If you didn't go... You missed it, but it was wonderful, really, really encouraging. Um, I just encourage you to visit um, that area over there in the, in the lake garage, but it was so, so incredibly encouraging to hear from these different women and how God has led them on his mission um, to do such a variety of completely different things and yet unified, right? Diversity of gifts, diversity of continents, diversity of languages, diversity of of talents and, and commitments, and yet complete unity. So it was beautiful, beautiful. Um, all right, we are going to talk tonight about the practice of community. Let's just do a very quick review. Some of you are like, what is it that we've been talking about? All I remember is the Warrior Dash. So let's remember what we've been talking about. Last night, we looked at the picture of community, right? And we looked at Jesus's final uh, message, his final sermon in John 14 to 17, the upper room discourse, if you will. And he prays in his final prayer, he prays that we would be perfectly one, right? That the world may know that you sent me, that the world would know the gospel and see the glory of the gospel by our oneness, okay? That is our picture. The Father and the Son and their perfect oneness is our picture of community. And then, unfortunately, we had to talk this morning about the problem, right? What is the problem? The problem is we don't work right, right? The body doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. The individual members don't work correctly, and so we're all off kilter. That is the problem. And then we got even a little bit more specific. Janet said too specific. I was just kidding. (laughs) She said, I do not like this stuff you're talking about. I love it. The very specific in Philippians 2, talking about pride. Right, and the way that rivalry and conceit creeps into our relationships and we begin seeing each other as, as competitors rather than members of the body. Right? And we also looked at the reality that the, the deeper even seated issue than pride right, is insecurity. It is an identity problem. It is not knowing our identity as beloved daughters of the king. When we know that we are loved When we walk in that identity, we are secure and we're able to love each other, okay? So tonight we are looking at the practice. For those of you who like practical things, um, this is for you, okay? We're looking at the practice of community. And I want you to think, just in order to really make this practical, and some of you, again, are going to talk to me afterwards and tell me that you hate this. That's fine. Um, (laughs) But I want you to think of someone. Okay, um, I gave you the picture of mending nets, and, and someone actually pointed out the fact that there's a net right there. I didn't even, like, put that together. <laughs> Pretty slow, but talking about, I believe that God's heart for, for even this conference this weekend is that we would be mending nets. And how do we mend that net so that we can be effective fishers of men? How do we mend that net? And the answer for us is one string at a time. Right, one string at a time. And if every single woman at 
this camp represented a string that was going to be reattached when we go home. That would make a huge difference in the body of Christ. Multiply that, then multiply that, then, right? You see where I'm going. But we have to choose one. It is so much easier to be enthusiastic about community, right? Kind of capital C, than to like reconcile with that person, right? And so I just ask you to just, right now in your heart, just ask the Spirit of God to just bring someone to mind. Probably not hard, right? Who do you want me to mend nets with when I go home? So we're going to practice community. Just because something is accomplished doesn't mean that it's automatic. What do I mean by that? I mean, just because a child is adopted into a healthy, loving, stable family, it doesn't mean that that child knows how to be a secure, loved child, right? Adopted children have to learn to become secure, right? That they don't have to hoard food, right? They don't have to stuff stuff in their pockets. They don't have to hide in fear and shame when they mess up. An adopted child has to practice what it means to be in a family, like a healthy one. And in a lot of ways, just as as, uh, Amber was sharing about her experience with her father, we all have to learn to practice what it means to live as children of God in a healthy family of God. We have to practice what this looks like. Now, sometimes in churches, um, churches can tend to be either the doctrine camp or the doing camp, right? We are either the doctrine camp or the doing camp, or it could be the belief camp or the behavior camp, right? Tends to be sometimes we lean towards one or the other, right? Churches sometimes zero in on whether that. You You just need to believe the right thing. And if you believe the right thing, then all the behavior will follow in line, right? Some of you are laughing. I'm like, oh no, right? Gonna get in trouble for this. No, just kidding. Or it could be on the other side, right? It's just the doing. Here are the things you need to do. Now do it. How helpful is that, by the way? Love that, by the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so here's your problem, so do it. It's like, well, yeah, if I, anyway. So we tend to either be in the belief camp or the behavior camp, the doctrine camp or the do camp. I personally, I will give away. I tend to lean more towards the belief camp because I do think that all errant behavior is a result of errant belief. So everything that we do that's tweaked is because something we believe is off, right? And yet, we would be remiss to leave out all of the passages in Scripture that are very clearly telling us to do something. There comes a time when we have to walk out in what it means to be a child of God. We have to practice this. We have to practice this new behavior. It's the same way that Paul talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, he says, put off the old self. That fear, that insecurity, that selfishness, that pride, and put on the new self, meekness, love, kindness. This is a conscious choice, right? We do this, I do this with my little kids all the time, right? Where they're up and they're doing something and they're bickering and they're just at each other, right? And I'm like, okay, you know what time it is. Put, uh, right? And we, I mean, it's cheesy, whatever. We put off, okay, Lord Jesus, I put off selfishness and I put on love. And we go through the motions of putting on love, right? 
Call it cheesy, it works. I'm telling you, right? It works for my heart. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put off grumpy pants and I'm gonna put on something loving and kind. Put off and put on. We have to practice. Now, always, however, our who's come before our do's, right? This is, my husband says this like every single Sunday. I'm like, okay, I think we get it now, okay? But we do, we need to hear it again. Your who's before your do's, right? We cannot just begin with, well, here's what you need to do. Who we are comes first. All that we do comes out of who we are, our identity. And so that is why we didn't begin our conference by giving you a list of things to do, because that isn't helpful. We tend to want that. I don't know if, if you're anything like me, I'm always just like, just tell me what to do, right? What's the right thing to do? And it's like, no, it has to come out of who am I? What is my identity? So our who's, who God is, and who he says I am, come before our do's. However, even though the do's come after the who's, the do's do come, right? Are you with me? The do's do come, right? We can't just stay on the who's. There comes a time when we've got to do the do's. And that's kind of where we are tonight. We're going to do the do's. Paul always follows up his doctrinal and theological teaching with practical application. Ways to literally practice the things that he has taught. And Romans is probably the best, just classic example of this. The book of Romans. That's where we're going to be tonight, Romans 12. The crazy thing about Romans is that in the first 11 chapters, right, some of you know this, he does not give a single imperative sentence, not a single command. In the entire 11 chapters, there's a lot in there, by the way, in 11 chapters, he does not tell us to do anything. Crazy, right? I don't know how he holds off for that long. It was hard enough for me, like a couple of sessions. He does not tell us to do anything, no command. It is all theology and truth. The who's, who God is and who you are. This is who God is. This is the truth. Here are his attributes made clear in creation. Here is the bad news about who we are, right? We fall short of the glory of God. Here is the good news of the gospel. Here is the good news of the spirit that there is no longer any condemnation. Here's the good news. He gives us all of this All of these who's, we are no longer slaves and orphans, but children of God, as I mentioned this morning. Make sure we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. These are all of the truths that we have to know. And then finally, in chapter 12, he tells us how to practice. He turns the corner in chapter 12 and tells us how to practice. And if you turn to Romans 12, verse 1, you can see he says, I appeal to you, therefore, right? You know, you good Bible students, you always know when you see therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? The therefore, it's referring to the 11 chapters of all that Paul has just told us about the glory of the gospel. So the therefore is there to remind us of all that he has just told us. So therefore, the same way that he used in Philippians 2, and he said, because of these things, or since, or if you have all of this, he's using the same exact sort of argument in Romans 12. He says, because of this, therefore, by the mercies of God, here's what you're supposed to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Doesn't get any more practical than that. Everything we do inside this body is a sacrifice to God. Those of you who were here last year and we talked about sacred mundane, you know this kind of like 
what I love to talk about, right? Everything that we do in our bodies, there's no sacred and secular. Everything we do can be done as worship for the glory of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We looked at that earlier. Verse three, by the grace given me, I say, and there he's kind of touching on what we talked about this morning. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. He's saying, remember humility. Remember humility. For, and here's why, verse four, for as in one body, here it is again, right? When you start looking at these things, you're just like, this is everywhere. This is kind of a big deal. For as in one body, we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's reminding us again, right? We don't all do the same thing. I'm not in Africa, right? I'm doing something else. We cannot just try to copy each other. We have to ask the Father what our role is. What is our role? The different functions. We do not have the same function. We need to complement each other, right, rather than competing or comparing with one another. So we, though many, verse 5, he says it again, are one body. He says it again. In Christ and individually members one of another. So connected to one another. Having gifts that differ. He's saying again, remember, they're different. The way that we are wired, the way that we are gifted, they are different we're going to look different from each other according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. That is such a simple little throwaway statement, by the way, but I love that he puts that in there. He doesn't say, according to all the gifts, study your gift forever and ever and ever and focus on it forever and ever, right? He just says, use it. Just use it. Whatever you think maybe it is, try it. If it goes poorly, Try something else, right? There's so much freedom when you're a child of God, right? When our heart is to please him, you better believe when my kids are learning something new and they try it out of love for me and they just do their best, I'm not going, well, that wasn't a very good try. Never, right? I mean, I'm the over-the-top mom too. I'm just like, oh, that was so good. You know, I'm just, I'm, I admit, I am the obnoxious mom. It's just like every little tiny thing, I'm just like cheering like crazy. God, I believe, is like that with us though. He's like, oh, you stepped out in faith. Yes, right? Maybe it wasn't the very best. You'll grow. It's okay. But he wants us to use that gift. Fear keeps us held back, right? When we know we are loved. I remember I, I'm just, okay, I'm like getting off, but I got to stay to what I'm saying. But I remember several years ago, probably four years ago or something, I was speaking at a conference and this, um, this girl asked afterwards, she said, I, I don't understand, how do you not get afraid? Like, how do you stand there? I mean, apparently public speaking is the number one fear, like more than death. I don't understand that at all. Like, you would rather die than stand, and some people are like, yes, I would rather die than stand there, okay? And I'm, and I'm not saying I never get afraid, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm like arrived in any way, but she asked us, like, how do you not get afraid? And I told her, I do, I very clearly remember. It was about, after about five years of speaking, which that was not encouraging to her, because she was like, it took five years. <laughs> but after five years, I remember this moment 
having a revelation of being a child of God and knowing his love for me and realizing God is not out to get me. Like if he wants me to do this, he's not playing a trick on me. Like I might do something embarrassing and I might mess up and I have, I've done all kinds of terrible things, right? But he is not playing a trick on me. He's not calling me to do something scary just to go <laughs> under her, right? He's not doing that. Not only that, he loves you too much to do that, right? He loves you too much to make this into a big debacle or a circus, right? He loves you and he loves me and he's pleased by the fact that we're getting into his word and we can just trust that it's gonna be okay, right? There is freedom in that. He loves us. When we know our love, it gives us confidence. So he goes in about the different giftings and we won't get into all the spiritual gifts here, but prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, generosity, leading, acts of mercy. And then he gets into the very nitty gritty practical stuff for us, right? Now, there are many one another passages in the scriptures, okay, many. We are going to look at really six, but seven, one of them is kind of an umbrella, but we're going to look at seven of them tonight just through this passage in Romans 12. There are many, many, many uh, one another verses. There is a fun little activity, um, I'll mention again later, but in your book that is the one another challenge, and that is basically 31 days of practicing living this out, okay? For 31 days, each day has a one another, and all you do is do it, okay? 31 days. Anybody can do 31 days. There's creative ways to live that out, but you can come up with your own ideas. Basically, it is a simple task of going every single day, <clears throat> excuse me, every single day, I'm just going to practice one of the one another's. And through the process of practicing, we are learning to walk as beloved children of God, actively pursuing the good of those around us. Okay, so we're just going to focus on seven of them tonight for the sake of time. And the first one he says in, in Romans 12, verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Our first one another is just love. Right? This is kind of the umbrella over all of them, if you will, right? Love one another. Loving one another is all the law and the prophets, right? Galatians says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Galatians 5. Love one another. That is the umbrella one another over all of them. First John tells us it is impossible to love God and not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay? Our love for each other is the litmus test of our love for God, if you will. How real is that love? We cannot overestimate the importance of, of loving each other. So these next six really are just specifying ways that we love one another, okay? The umbrella over all of them is loving one another, and these are just different ways to specify and see how we can actively practice this in our daily life, okay? 
Next he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Here is that place. Remember I said the only place in scripture where I see competition condoned is right here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Work your tail off to honor one another, to see who can honor one another the most. Elevate, honor, choose to lose the race, right? Don't just lose the race, stop and cheer the other person on, right? I'm not gonna compete with you. I'm just gonna stop and cheer you on. The perfect picture of this, I think, is Jonathan. Jonathan in scripture, right? Jonathan, I think, is an unsung hero in scripture, by the way. We always talk about David. David's awesome. I like David too. But Jonathan is this beautiful, quiet man behind the scenes who showed incredible honor for the very man that he should have been most threatened by, right? Jonathan should have been king. Y'all know the story, right? Jonathan should have been next king. And instead, this little shepherd boy, who knows who he is, Right? He comes in and slays the giant, and they're singing his praises instead of Jonathan's praises, which, by the way, I always, we forget sometimes, you know, Jonathan killed 20 Philistines. Do you remember that? Before the Goliath story, Jonathan killed 20. I'm like, let's tell that story in Sunday school too. Anyway, side note. But instead, of when, when, when David has killed Goliath, it says in the very next verse that Jonathan's heart was knit to him, and he took off his armor and he gave everything that he had to David. In other words, his actions were saying, I see that you are the next king, and I give everything that is mine to you. I take a seat behind you. Even though I have the right to the throne, I give all that I have, and I personally promote you. And throughout their relationship, you see Jonathan is the one constantly supporting protecting, advocating for David to his crazy father, right? Doing everything he possibly can, even risking his own life, to personally promote and honor David. That is such a picture to me, it has been a picture to me over the years, that whoever I may be threatened by, right? Or whoever is maybe, um, does not accept me, Whoever that challenged person is, if you will, will I choose to honor them? Will I choose to personally promote them? God challenged me with this in a very specific way about five years ago, and it was a, just a tricky situation, and um, God very clearly said, stop, don't compete. I want you to give all your energy to personally promote that person, right? That kind of gets at your heart, Right? but it cuts right into the, the vein of that pride, right? So honor, how can we honor one another? Personally promote them, recognize them, treat them with respect. Look out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. Next, number two, the next one is serve. After outdo one another, it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We're gonna give this title serve in general. Serve 
one another. That is to aid, to help, to supply. And there's two ways that this is um, expressed in this verse. Number one, contribute to the needs of the saints. And number two, show hospitality. Right? Contribute to the needs of the saints is very practical. Wherever we see a need in our church family specifically, how can we meet that need? Without caring who gets the credit, without caring if someone sees that you did it, how can I meet the practical needs in front of me? Galatians 6.10 says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those in the household of faith. Sometimes it's hardest to serve those that are closest to us, right? How can we serve and love the household of faith? There is an emphasis, interestingly enough, on serving our church family first, right? The same way that I would not take my children's dinner, probably, I would not take their dinner and give it to the neighbor kid. I'm gonna feed my kids and then I'm gonna go over and feed the neighbor kids, right? We do turn outward, but we also take care of the needs of the church family that are right in front of us. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Last year we talked about this, but I just wanna give you three quick questions for discerning how can I serve those around me? Number one, what do you have? The freeing thing about being a child of God is that you don't have to give something you don't have, right? We don't have to stress about not having enough. Number two, who do you see? Who is in front of you? Who has God sovereignly placed in your path? And then what will you do? Now, hospitality, what is hospitality, right? I love, by the way, Candy did an excellent, excellent job in her uh, workshop on hospitality. I loved it, it was great. Um, hospitality, as some of you know, is not just entertaining people, right? She did a great job of emphasizing that, that we can do it wherever we are. It's not just in our home when it looks like a Martha Stewart magazine, right? The word hospitality is broken down into, some of you know this, phileo xenos, all right? So phileo meaning brotherly love, and then xenos meaning strangers. So it literally just means to love strangers as we would our own siblings. To love strangers like their family. To treat strangers or immigrants or those that we don't know like they are part of our family. That's what it means to show hospitality, right? It means treating a stranger with love. This can be as simple as making eye contact. Like Candy shared a great story about a man, making eye contact with someone instead of picking out our phone and getting on there, right? Speaking to the cashier. My husband's big on names. If someone has a name tag, he's gonna talk to you with your name, right? <laughs> and he'll say your name and talk to you and look you in the eyes and it's very dear. Sometimes I'm like, Okay, anyway, but speaking someone's name, right? Caring about them, even if they're a stranger, even if you never see them again, it is treating a stranger as if they were our sibling. So these two commandments, interestingly enough, are contribute to the needs of the saints, those within the family of Christ, and then seek to show brotherly love to strangers, those outside. Now also, interestingly enough, neither of these categories let us be choosy right? It's like, start here with the ones that God has put in front of you, and then love the ones that he puts in your path that are strangers. Serve those needs and seek to show hospitality. So serve one another. Number three, he goes on to say, bless those, it's getting harder, by the way. <laughs> You're all like, okay, I can serve. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Number three is forgive one another. 
forgive one another. Stop blame, grant pardon, absorb the debt. When we forgive, we absorb the debt of whatever has happened. I remember when God um, spoke very clearly to me this picture of forgiveness and basically said, stop choking people, right? I was wrestling through, it was actually the same relationship that I have mentioned before, and I was, this was probably six months ago, eight months ago, and I was wrestling through all these feelings and frustration and sorrow and crying and why does this keep happening and I would be doing fine and then something would happen and then I would be tail spinning in emotion and you, you, y'all are looking at me like you don't know, but you do know, right, okay? And my husband would be like, five minutes ago you were fine and now you're crying. I'd be like, I got a text message. You know, I mean, just this is like, oh, the things that could take us down. And I'm like asking the Lord, what is it? Like, help me get past this. What is it that needs to happen? And I will, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't want to say exactly words from the Lord. I'm just saying impression on my heart so clearly. Burn the IOU. I was like, oh, that. Oh, that. Oh, is that the issue, Right? Burn the IOU. Because some of us, someone wrongs us, someone doesn't treat us right, someone hurts us, and we're like, write that one down. You owe me. You owe me kindness. You owe me acceptance. You owe me an apology. Whatever it is, right? And we hold on to that. I want to grab somebody's paper, but we hold on to that IOU carry that around, right? And he's like, burn it. Burn the stinking IOU that you've been carrying around for a decade. Burn the IOU, right? And he gave me this picture from Matthew 18. You know this, you know this story, right? The man that owed his master a massive debt that could never be paid. It's like $8 million, right? In our, in our present day equivalent. He could never pay it, and so he begs, please, please forgive me, and the master forgives him, and then you know what he does, right? He goes and finds the other servant who owed him a pittance in, in, in relation to the debt that he had been forgiven. And what does he do? It says he goes and finds that servant who owed him a pittance, and he puts his hands around him and he chokes him. And that is such a picture to me of what we do when we do not forgive. I have been forgiven an insane debt. And I go around to someone and I'm like, you owe me, right? And that might look a little intense, but it's what we do in our hearts. You owe me. And we walk around choking each other, right? With the IOU. And now here's the, the other crazy thing. Sometimes that person doesn't even know that you got an IOU, right? Sometimes we write our own IOUs. We're like, you, do we have an expectation of what someone was supposed to do or how they were supposed to treat us and how they were supposed to ex accept us? And they don't even know. And we're like, yep, that one too. And I'm keeping track. Add another one. We're stuffing our pockets with IOUs, right? Next thing you know, we're just like, got all these IOUs. And he's like, burn them. Let it go. That is what Jesus did on the cross for us, right? He burned the massive IOU that we owed to God. 
the blasphemy, the wickedness. He burned that IOU. He says, burn it. Let them go. Forgive. Do not hold that IOU in your grubby little hands. Let it go. And when we do that, we're freed as well, right? We're the ones that become free. Matthew 6 says, if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is a big deal. God, would you just help us? I just pray even right now that despite your spirit, you would help us. Would you work and give us the courage to forgive, God? Number four, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I'm gonna call this encourage, okay? Encourage one another. That means to inspire courage, to stimulate spiritually. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The most encouraging thing, nine times out of 10, that you can do with someone is to empathize with them. When they're rejoicing, you rejoice. When they're weeping, you weep. My husband always says, the reason it says uh, rejoice with those who rejoice first is because that's actually harder. It's hard to rejoice when someone is succeeding and you're kind of not. It's hard to rejoice with them, right? There's only a few people in my life, I'll just say it, that I feel really comfortable that if something awesome has happened or I have some good news or some victory or something, that I can call them up and know that they're like totally genuinely like, yes, right? You know the difference? Like sometimes you're like, I don't think I wanna tell you that because you're gonna be like, yay, I'm happy for you. I mean, it's right, I mean, it's, it's just reality. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right, the best way, we think encouragement comes with like, rah, rah, like woohoo, you can do it. So often encouragement just comes through our presence, through just rejoicing with someone, through weeping with them, through listening, by offering our presence. God convicted me with this in a very real way just, um, I don't know, like three weeks ago. There was a family uh, in our church that had gone through a very hard time. Their child was in the, um, the NICU for several weeks, had lots of complications. And I had been praying for her. I mean, genuinely, I had been praying for her. I had been texting her. I had been in communication with her. And um, I don't know, I, I'm just confessing this out loud. You'd be like, you're a loser. But it just never occurred to me that I should go see her. Like, I thought the child, I couldn't be there. And there was some truth to that, but anyway. Um, and finally, the God's spirit was like, you need to go there. And so Jeff said the same thing. So he went and visited the dad at the hospital, and I went and visited the mom and just sat there for hours and just listened. And I tell you, I know, because I can tell, that that was the most encouraging thing. And I'll tell you, I am task-oriented girl. I'll just confess that, okay? I am not prone to just, my, my first nature is not to just like, hey, let's just sit for a couple hours. <laughs> like, I never think of that first, ever, okay? I'm like, let's do a project. Let's do something. Let's, like, study the word. Let's, and just, like, being with people, right? So we encourage people with our presence by empathizing with them, by truly rejoicing with them when they have a victory, when their kids are doing well, even when yours aren't. And by weeping with them when they weep. Number five is accept. Accept one another. 
It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Associate with the lowly. We're going to call this accept. Accept one another. And that is welcome and openly receive. You probably have felt this too. I'm sure I'm not alone. It is very, very painful to not be accepted. And you can feel it. Right? You know, you know, right? It is painful to have that sense of not being accepted. And it is very simple, but it is one of the most profound ways that we can love on people is just to accept them. It doesn't mean that we accept all their behavior. It doesn't mean that we accept some of their choices. It means that we accept them and we're willing to just embrace them into our presence. And I'm willing to go the distance with you. And I will associate with you even if that person is in a lowly position, right? I will be your friend. Part of our journey um, with church planting and having people in our home, I've shared a little bit of community, has been the difference between a view of, of, of ministry and specifically reaching out to the poor and homeless and the kind of population that we have a lot of, is the difference between seeing here's me leaning down to you and helping you And here is me living life with you, being your friend, having you live in my house, right? Giving you my burrito that I really want to eat myself. That was the the big godly challenge that God had for me about a week and a half ago. I was like, oh, this super yummy thing in my fridge. And I had one of our housemates was there. And uh, yeah, anyway, there's a lot going on in her life. And uh, she's like, oh, can I have that burrito? And I was like, No, I am so serious. I was like, yeah, totally. It is the silliest things, right? It's like I could write a check for a bunch of money and send it off to Africa, but she asked me for my burrito, and I'm like, I don't know, right? Like, it's ridiculous. Or we had this one, we had this lady, she was homeless, and she lived with us for a while, and she would, bless her heart, she was kind of crazy, but... um, But it's like she would drink the coffee, and it was like, you're always drinking all the coffee, you know? And it's just ridiculous. It's like those little things. Will we just accept one another? Quirks, right? Quirks and all, right? Part of this, too, for me, I keep moving, but was that, you know, some of the people who live in our house, again, I'm just, like, somebody's going to get offended now, but that some of the people in our house, um, they smoke, And you know, God will, I think that I'm praying that that would be, they wouldn't have to do that anymore. That's totally fine. But um, just to accept them. Because you know what? And part of me is like, but I don't like the smell in my house. And God's like, I don't like your smell in my house, right? (laughs) You're stinky. I mean, right? Like, we, our attitudes are stinky sometimes. I'm just saying, I'm not, I am not up here saying condone sin. I am saying We accept one another, and we let God bring them along at his time frame and his process, right? We accept one another. Welcome and openly receive them. James 2 um, has a powerful passage there where it talks about not showing partiality, and that's related to this as well. Partiality, literally the Greek word means to receive the face. That means that we show partiality to outward appearances, 
and make judgments and distinctions based on those things. Right? God looks on the heart. So part of our move toward oneness is just to accept one another. Number six, last one, pacify. Stick with me. You're like, did you just use the word pacify? Yes. Pacify. The rest of the, verse, the verses says, Repay no one evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved. I love that he reminds them that they are beloved. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is so different from our context, but that was a blessing, right? They had to carry their coals on their heads in order to have a fire. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you know, I, I, I spent days and days and days trying to find the right word that would summarize this part of the passage other than pacify, only because pacify just, it feels like pacifier. It's just kind of a, it, we don't use that word a lot, right? But there's no other word that so clearly expresses what is going on in this passage, right? To pacify means to make peace. Jesus very clearly has told us to be peacemakers. We are to seek with all of our heart to make peace in our relationships. This is huge in churches, right? Everything that we do, every word that we say either diffuses a situation or escalates a situation. We are constantly either putting out fires or stoking them, right? We have choices all, all the time. At every offense, there is an opportunity to forgive, release, free, overlook, or the opportunity to resent, write an IOU, get back, retaliate, escalate, hold a grudge. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is one's glory to overlook an offense. I say this all the time to my children, right? It is a glory for you to just overlook that petty offense. It is glorious. That is your glory. Let's practice that. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. If anything that you are about to say could cause someone to be distrustful or hurt about another person, don't say it. Right? Everything that we say either unites friendships or divides them. We can be powerful peacemakers in our relationships. I had an opportunity to do this with, I mentioned my pastor, who's an amazing godly man, um, and my dad, who is a wonderful man also. He's my father. And we had had a lifelong relationship with them our entire life. And there came a time when something happened, and I don't know exactly what, but they parted ways. And no one would talk about it. And, um, but I remember God very clearly speaking to me through this passage. 
You are the one that loves them both, that once they're good, you be a peacemaker. So I wrote them both a letter, called them to come together, and by God's grace, they were reconciled completely, beautifully, right? And I just told you, he came to the camping trip on Sunday, right? They're continuing in that beautiful relationship, but we have an incredibly important role that God calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to take people by the hands and connect them, encourage them, right? Just as Paul did at the very end of Philippians, Philippians 4, he says, Eodia and Syntyche agree in the Lord, right? How would you like to be called out by name in one of Paul's epistles? Oh, like, please let that not be me. Just agree in the Lord, right? Agree. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends, right? Let us never be guilty of stirring up conflict. Even if it means biting our tongue, right? Letting go of our ego, not having to be right. Even if it looks like we're losing, letting it go. There is no room for the children of God to work against unity, right? So we love and we honor and we serve and we forgive and we accept, we encourage and we pacify. We are peacemakers. And again, I just remind you, you have the 31 days, uh, a little opportunity to practice this. And we're going to close now. Um, Amber and Cherie are going to come up. And we're going to worship. And I just want you to think through, in these next few minutes as we close, think through how God would call you specifically to act this out with someone when you get home. Who would he call you to forgive? And secondly, just encourage you to ask your father to show you any ways that you're still not practicing walking out being a child of God. Right? All of our do's come out of our who's. Ask him to fully show you that you are a child of God and what that looks like to practice that in our daily life. Amen? Let me pray for us and sing. Father, I thank you that you are a good father. You are so gentle. You are so kind. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray that you would bring many stories of beautiful reconciliation out of this room. I pray that you would mend your net, God, one string at a time, one relationship at a time, one act of forgiveness at a time. God, that you would mend your net and that you would help us to be effective as your church. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we have stirred up conflict. Forgive us for how we have repeated an offense. God, forgive us for how we have competed with our sisters instead of honoring them and preferring them. Forgive us for how we have taken offense for how we have taken up that grudge and carried it with us. God, forgive us for looking out for our own interests. Forgive us for hogging all of your love and not pouring it out to those around us. God, forgive us. 
we repent. God, we repent on behalf of ourselves, but we repent on behalf of our church. The church in America, God, we repent for our division and our cattiness and our pride and our selfishness. We repent, God. We repent for waving the banner of our own way and our own name and not yours. God, would you bring a mighty wave of repentance to your church? Would you renew our hearts and refresh us and give us a hunger for you and for your glory? We invite you, we ask that you would do that and you would start that here. That you would begin that with us, God. These few little churches in the Northwest, that you would begin a move of repentance and unity and love and courageous community through us, God. Show us your love.